Welcome to the second episode of VSTML Renaissance Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone and joining me as always is a Canadian who is celebrating beating his previous personal best in predictions by losing someone in the second week, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mrs. Saunders. How's your week been? <laughs> um, it's not been my favorite week. Um, my mom got quite sick, so she's not doing too great right now, but She's on the road to recovery, which is Good. optim. Which we're hopeful. We're hopeful it's uh, it's on the way to recovery. And then, um, and before social distancing was because of COVID, but now social distancing and being outside is being forbidden right now because the air quality is not so good because of all the fires in Oregon and California. So probably next couple days or so, they want everybody to try and stay inside as much as possible. So essentially what you're saying is this weekend has been the uh, the cherry on top of a pretty poo-poo week. Yes, to borrow a reality TV reference, yes. And even worse for you, you did lose Nadia. Yeah, that's the worst part of this whole <laughs> week. Kicking me while I'm down. The week was kind of just rolling along up until this point, but now you've just been, been brutally uh, attacked by, by the rest of the week. Yeah, I did 25 hours of teaching classes in two days on top of everything else, and then Naja goes home. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what the hell, 2020? <laughs> I should write that in my reflection at the end of the year, like, man, it was a tough year, you know? There was uh, coronavirus really prevented me from doing what I wanted. Uh, my girlfriend's in the Philippines, and the government didn't let her in or out of the country for over seven months, so I didn't get to see her for a very long time. Uh, you know, my mom got really sick for a little bit. Uh, didn't really get to see much of my friends even within town because of coronavirus. And then Naja went home in the second episode of V is the Mole. God damn it. <laughs> so anyway, The Mole. Yeah, that other show, that dis- that is the escape, the escape from the hellfire known as 2020. Turning this episode from a chat show into an actual reality TV podcast. Previously, 10 old mole contestants returned for a second shot at actually working out who it was this time in Italy, where they met each other in search for mirrors in a Tuscan village before trying to dupe the production team in a name game. Five old moles imparted their knowledge, tricking seven of the players, while Horace managed to get some money for the group. Not that they've exactly acknowledged that yet. At the execution, history repeated itself for Tina as she went home early again. Really early. Yeah, really early. And Rick starts the episode by saying that everyone's wondering who has the advantages and the money, but yet again the treasurer will get a deciding role in how to fill the pots. I think last week you said that they did three days in the first episode, but yet we begin this episode on day three. Yeah, it was the start of day three that Tina went home. Oh, so they probably just started the second round like right away? Yeah, we had to begin episode two with the afternoon of day three, and they kind of confirm that, because the... The start of it is someone, I think it was Ron saying that they all got bundled into a van and driven through the Tuscan countryside in the afternoon. So the implication is Tina's execution was first thing and then they went, right, round two begins now. That's odd. They really love to condense filming for Vias the Mall. Because the implication was that Nadja went home like after a week as well from what she was saying to Rick at the end. So this could have been actually a super long round with maybe one or two uh, days of um of break in the middle hmm interesting so as i said they all get forced into a van and driven through the tuscan countryside in the afternoon presumably of day three and rick says that they will take a walk in two teams along winding roads a few kilometers apart and walk towards each other at the start they can take worthless rocks but along the way they can trade them for valuable ones to make any money they have to meet each other within 45 minutes at a point where the value of their rocks will be multiplied if they meet anywhere else or not at all, they will earn nothing for the pots. And the maximum value of this challenge is an utterly ridiculous €2,222.50. That's going to be fun to say for the total group pot total at the end of each podcast for you. Oh, believe me, it's already crossed my mind, because I'm not best pleased at them for that. <laughs> the dicks. They love to have just one challenge in a season that ruins my life, and they put it in episode two this time just to ruin it further. Renaissance. Ugh. <laughs> so yeah, I saw the the name of the challenge. I can't even remember what the challenge name was, but I saw the name of the challenge and the maximum part, and I'm like, are you actually kidding me? They did a very similar challenge to this in the Japan season, didn't they? 
Yes, that was something I was about to mention. They did indeed do the stretcher challenge, which has been reused at least in Australia, if not a couple of the others. American one did it in season five with the Argent with the trail. Don't make me turn these rocks around. Where two two teams start at opposite ends of a uh, a path, usually much longer than two kilometers, which I'll get to that in a minute, and um, have to walk towards each other carrying sandbags on a stretcher, and um, there are various points along the way where they can meet up and get money for the bots. However, this is, yeah, as you said, an adaptation of those challenges. Instead, they just have to trade their rocks for stones worth money. And this being Vista Mall, most of those stones are going to be worth five euros. Yeah, the values aren't too high. It's so cheap. Like, the fact that they have a maximum prize of a little over €2,000 for this challenge is irritating at best. But then you consider that the actual rock value was 1270 to make it work, and they didn't even make the maths easy for themselves because they added in a 1.75 times sign as the highest one. Just make it two. Make your life easy. Make it easy maths. Make it actually work with the banknotes you have. It's not difficult. Instead, you can just be like, oh, okay, so you made 197, or if, or they say like, oh, you made 202 euros and 50 cents on this challenge. Well, we got to round it, because we don't have those notes, so you earn 200 euros, so you just say production 2 euros and 50 cents. Like, they're just not making it easy for themselves, and I don't understand why. They're designing it, so they're making it almost impossible for the pot to crack 10,000 euros again. That's the thing. We're a quarter of the way through the season now. The pot is horrendously low anyway. And that's with that's with a huge, huge bonus. Like, going into that last task, I didn't even think money would really be up for grabs, or reasonably up for grabs. Like, I saw the possible amount, and I was thinking, man, oh man, they're on pace for like 5,000 euros by the end of the season. Yeah, the, the maximum prize they could have won by now, if all had gone well, was 10,722 euros and 50 cents. And I'm really going to get very tired of saying and 50 cents for the rest of the season. Why don't you just round up like Rick does? Because I'm not Rick. I have the virtual cash and I'm going to keep handing out the much better mole money than China. Which is something I didn't mention last week. Thank God they went back to properly designed notes because the China ones were awful. This is a conversation I've been having on Instagram this evening. So yeah, they split up into two groups. The group of five is Peggy, Nadja, Tico... Euro and, and Nikki, and the group of four is Ron, Ellie, Horace, and Patrick. And I do have to ask, and this was more visible than anything when we started the challenge and when we saw Rick's introduction to it, but why was Tico dressed like a character from Zoolander? Maybe he's a big Ben Stiller fan. He genuinely looked like he could have been an extra from either of the Zoolander films. I forgot there was more than one. <laughs> yeah. Didn't they do a sequel like 20 years later? Yeah, inexplicably there was indeed a Zoolander sequel a couple of years ago. And it's just as terrible as you would imagine it is. What? Do you mean doing a, a sequel to a comedy 20 years later didn't pan out that well? No, it's really weird. And I know you think this as well, but the mole has got to be in that group of five. Yeah. You have four reasonably sensible people, or three reasonably sensible people, and Ron on one side, and then you have... Peggy, who's inherently suspicious. Nadja, who was inherently suspicious. Spoilers. Tico, who plays for the team normally, but is still a little bit suspicious. Yeroen, who is trying to make himself suspicious. And Nikki, who's very, very, very suspicious. You have all those five people on one team. That team's going to be the one that suffers. And they still were like the last to make it even with having the extra person to carry things. Hmm. And Patrick says that Ron seemed drunk because he was swaying left and right and almost <laughs> fell in a ditch. <laughs> I think this episode just proves why Ron really wasn't cut out for Georgia. Can you imagine this Ron being part of the um, the entire Georgia season? Because I can't. The During the suitcase challenge, um, when he tries to throw the suitcase, he would fly along with him into that pile on the suitcase train. I think it's fair to say that this episode proved why Ron was an early boot in Georgia. But when you're on Vidim Renaissance, oh, you can make it to the end game. So, yeah, the group of four get on with it. The group of five, not so much. And in fact, the group of five take eight minutes to decide what to do to begin with and finally depart with a little under 37 minutes to go. There's so much mulling on that side. I can't even begin to dissect how 
poorly they performed in this challenge. Because this is a challenge where it's not an all or nothing thing, like, this is a challenge where you're going to earn some money. Like, it's pretty easy to rack up, you know, a few dozen euros here. I mean, well, there was a maximum of over 2,000. Yeah, also the only thing you do have to bear in mind is the fact that this course was not that big compared to the stretcher challenges in previous seasons. The stretcher challenge traditionally is between about 5 and 10k. This was 2k and 45 minutes. So they could have dawdled and they definitely could have stopped at the 1 and 3 quarter time sign. Like when I go really slow for a walk, like if I'm feeling really sick or I'm walking with somebody or like stopping to look at animals on the path or something at a park like 20 what is it 25 minutes probably and that's this is an area with lots of hills so an area with lots of hills for a two kilometer route if i'm with somebody i'm not trying to speed up or anything that takes me about 25 minutes even though i am a terrible athlete and an even worse runner even i don't take that long to cover two kilometers yeah, and you gotta think this was there wasn't really that they like they said oh there, there's some hills now but anytime they showed footage that all looked pretty flat to me. <laughs> yeah, obviously the weight slows them down a lot, but not really that much split between four or five people. Yeah, and where I live, it's also a really steep incline, so I figured that steep incline definitely would balance out carrying stones shared with another person. Yeah, so. They barely made it, didn't they, to the meetup point? They had three minutes left at the end. Yeah, so 42 minutes to go two kilometers. And even with, some, let's say, you waste about 10 minutes on discussion, if you're really bad at it. Oh, man. I think even worse, the course was actually two kilometers total. So I think they met up pretty much at the midpoint. So 42 minutes to do a kilometer, unless I'm mistaken which I'm sure someone on Twitter or Instagram will correct me as soon as they hear this if I am wrong. But I'm pretty sure that they said it was a two-kilometer course, and therefore they met up pretty much halfway. That's so bad. There was a ton of mauling in that challenge. There had to be. Like, you should be able... If you're not the mole, after that challenge, you should have it down to four suspects. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in the, within your own group, it's like, well... It's not me, I think it's one of the other four of us, because it just took us 42 minutes to go one kilometer, and we only earned 17 euros in the process. Yeah. So the group of four come across a pile of five euro stones, with the transfer being two of those five euro stones for five of the worthless rocks. Obviously the slabs that are worth money are a lot heavier than the worthless rocks, that's kind of the point of this challenge. And Ellie, being Ellie, realises that you can't trade the blocks when you pick them up, so they need to be careful with what they trade. On a normal season, she'd be 100% correct. However, this being Vidim Renaissance and obviously being done on the cheap, there's only three points where they can actually swap any worthless rocks, so you might as well just go for as many as you want. Because the fact of the matter is, the 25 euro ones are no heavier, they are the same size from what I could see, and they're also much nearer to the trade-off point. Yeah, and the fact that they didn't even they were all expecting a times two zone based on the numbers they were seeing. Yeah. They did not expect to be duped with getting all the way to the end. I say all the way, even though it's only a kilometer. All the way to the end and it being a zero point five time zone. No, the producers were a hundred percent trolling them by putting the half the money sign right in the middle. However, one point seven five is a pretty good trade off, and I probably would have stopped there. Even if you're expecting a two. You've kind of got to assume there's going to be a lower one before you see a two. And looking at the time limit, they probably had about eight or nine minutes by that point. You go, well, maybe we'll make the other team come to us with this. But they wouldn't have made it. It would have been close. I think they probably would have made it. I don't know. If it, if it took them 42 minutes to get the one kilometer to the 0.5 zone, I can't imagine that bigger group getting to the next the, the 1.75 zone in just three minutes. Let's be honest, there wasn't much difference between them getting nothing at all and them getting the half times. They end up with 96 and a half euros for this challenge. That's like the cost of a Ryanair flight. Yeah, and Vidum Renaissance doesn't even require you to pay a euro to go to the bathroom. Yeah, at least they don't. Well, yeah, you'd hope. So Ellie also spots a yoker at the bottom of her basket and manages to sneakily nab it without anyone seeing. 
Your Owen complains about the weight almost immediately. It all gets a bit too heavy for Ron, so the group of four had to stop as well. The group of five nearly walked past their group of five Eurostones. Nadja also spots a yoker in her basket at that point and manages to sneak it past everyone. And in the biggest twist of the entire season so far, Peggy is actually allowed to speak. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, by process of elimination, I know who everyone else is, so that has to be Peggy speaking. And I think we kind of realise why Peggy hasn't spoken yet. She's not a brilliant confessionalist. No, she definitely is more of a summarises what happens as opposed to providing any insight or commentary. It's like, we did this, and then I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then this happened. And then both groups find another pile of five euro stones and barely decide to trade. And the group of four find a pile of gold stones at a trade of five rocks for one block, and they are worth 25 euros each. Nikki struggles with her solo basket, and Peggy agrees to help her, which means that Peggy is completely off Nikki's list. And the group of five also completely miss their 25 euro stones, which is a million percent a sabotage. Yeah. I was amazed. I'm like, how do they not notice that huge freaking pile of rocks? I mean, I don't know about you, but if it's taken me 42 minutes to walk a kilometer... You would think that they're stopping and being observant enough to see a huge pile of rocks. It's not like they're zooming by it or sprinting past it by any means. (laughs) I have a theory on that. And obviously you're going to mock me mercilessly, but Nikki is still my number one suspect, obviously. And isn't it convenient how Nikki starts struggling just as they're about to pass the uh, 25 euro stone pile? Hmm. So you're saying she was distracting everybody? Or maybe somebody else in that group thought, oh, Nikki, are you struggling? Let's all tend to Nikki, but let's keep moving at a very slow pace past these pile of money rocks. It was very convenient how Nikki and Peggy took the um, the very outside line away from the uh, pile of 25 euro rocks. I think that's a very interesting development. You have so much tunnel busy right now, it's not even funny. I know, but the problem is there were a couple of bits that Nikki did this week that I'm like, yeah, you're definitely sabotaging. The thing is, it's just me. I'm either going to be absolutely right from minute one of episode one, or I'm going to be horrendously wrong and it'll be very entertaining. There is no middle ground here. So the group of four find the 1.75 times sign, while the group of five find the one and a half times sign. The group of four find a half sign right before they meet up as a group. The group of five contributed a huge 35 euros to the group pots, and the group of four 160, and they could have found 1,270 euros of stones. Per person? Or as to total? I was trying to work out how many of each um, each stone there were, but, you know, it's far too many and I couldn't be bothered. So on like a points-based challenge, they got about 11%? They managed to find 15.4% of the stones. That's not good. And if you divide it amongst like the two groups, what was the percentage that group two would have had? <laughs> like 2%? Uh, the group of five got 18% of them. Oh, I see. So uh, if you split, like group one got 82% of the share and group two got 18% of the share. Yeah. So they got 18% of the t- of the 15%. Yeah. So that would be like 2 or 3% contribution and that's not even a factory in the 0.5 yeah it's 2.7% of the total amount that could have been picked up in this challenge which is 1270 was actually brought in by the group of five people that's got to be the lowest percentage overall for a challenge on Vidum, and that's saying a lot based on the past few seasons this really feels like one of the lowest scoring challenges possible ever until you cast your mind back to China, where I think we had a 21 euro win. Oh, was that the photography challenge? No, that was the uh, truck escape rooms. Oh, um, yes, when they were locked in the trucks and there was the puzzle to get out each of them. Yeah, I think it was 21 they won in that challenge. Well, this is 17 for group two. So yeah, they managed to get 97 and a half euros out of a possible 22,222 50 for the challenge, but Rick being benevolent and the fact that they don't have any euro notes lower than five, rounds it up to 100 euros. He also congratulates a couple of people for finding things along the way, leading to Tico refusing a search. And then Horace be looking very, very surprised and shocked. They found what? What could they have found? Did they find the other 1,800 euros that we didn't earn in this challenge? 
It's not like we're flooding this game with yokers knowing there could be a black exemption in the game by the end of this episode. And he also asks who the treasurer is, and Nikki nearly jumps in, but it's still Patrick officially. And I must say, it is a little bit bullying for them to try and search Tico, because he's wearing all his earthly possessions, guys. Yeah, like if they make Tatter anything while they're searching him, like that's that's all he's got. That's tramp shaming. And Peggy says in a confessional that she thinks someone might have been mauling in this challenge. You think? 2.7%. <laughs> there's a 2.7% chance someone wasn't mauling. I would say there's a 98 or 97.3% chance someone was. And I know, as you mentioned last week, that we have kind of acknowledged that we've started recording the South Africa uh, Belgian mole season. But it's night and day comparing this season to the Belgian mole ones in terms of there is nothing but challenges in this episode. There is a little bit of bond forming, and that's it outside of the challenges. We go straight from the first challenge to the second challenge. There's nothing in the middle. Yeah, they don't really do any additional like sightseeing or group scenes. It feels less like an adventure and more like a game show if you look at the Dutch version compared to the Belgian. Yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's a good analogy. So that evening, Rick meets some in Pienza for the laser assignment. Two people at a time will enter the laser hall with the lock chest. To win what's inside, they have to get it to the finish line, but the hall has booby traps and shooters. If they're hit, they're out of the game, and the chest will not move. The chest is empty currently, but they can find money inside the hall, and also yokers with each other's names on them. And there is 2,000 euros worth of cash to be won. They do not win the 2,000 euros worth of cash. It's fair to say they do not, but more importantly, I did notice that the yokers had like little stickers on with the name tags. They weren't stamped on as you would expect. I only noticed this on the uh, the second watch of this challenge, because let's be honest, the banner for this episode is going to come from this challenge because there was a lot of options. But I didn't actually notice until then that the the names had been put on with stickers rather than being branded. So they just used, they got out like their cricket and just typed a name into a cricket and then peeled off the label and put it on the yoker? Yeah, essentially. Can you peel off the sticker and and switch your name onto another another yoker depends if you find it <laughs> so ron suggests that he goes in first and tries to negotiate with the shooters and get himself shot is it any wonder that ron has not played a laser object before because he has no idea what he's doing it's fair to say this challenge just proves he has no idea what he's doing maybe it's the march simpson tactic maybe we should try talking to the shooters I'm sure they'll definitely respond and not shoot you immediately in the chest, Ron. <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, Ron was in the Middle East, like, just sent in, like, oh man, we're in this firefight, Ron. Oh no, I know something more powerful than a gun. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to talk to these Al-Qaeda guys. Al-Qaeda? Al-Qaeda? Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm sure it'll be fine if I get the name wrong. And we're going to work this out. Boom! Now I have to ask, as Mole, if you were Mole in this challenge, how would you have played it? Would you have wanted to go early? Would you want to go, go late? I don't think it really matters. I realize that getting the chest across doesn't really determine the success in the challenge that much. If I was the Mole, it doesn't really matter if you go early or late. I would make sure my partner gets shot first and then get, g retrieve the negative notes, which I think I'm pretty certain happened here. I can guarantee it did not, because I know who got it. I know for 100% certainty who got the um, the minus 100 note, because it was actually shown in the episode. I did not notice. Was it subtle? Not really, actually. It was one of the more blatant things in this challenge. Someone very blatantly picked up the 100 note. Was it Nikki? No, it was Nadja. Oh, well. The one note that Nadja picked up was quite visibly a red note, and said minus 100 on it. Oh, that's why they showed it. Because it's like, well, if she goes home this week anyway, we can show her. <laughs> we, can, we can be like, well, the mole doesn't have to do much this season, really. I mean, the other contestants are unknowingly picking notes that subtract money from the pot. Yeah, because until I knew that Nadja went home, Nadja would have probably been on my suspect list this week, purely because I spotted her pick the minus 100 up. And it's a real bummer they haven't shown us the entire the entire list of notes yet, because those notes from what we've seen are quite pretty, especially compared to the China ones, which were god-awful. Well aware that children designed them, but also they shouldn't have been submitted for design because it was shite. Can't ruin the kids' dreams, though. I'm glad you weren't on the production crew. 
Hey, little Jimmy, your note is fucking disgusting. I would have just loved it if I had, I'd have got to veto the notes and just send out letters to the kids going, thank you for your submission. Sadly, it was shite. <laughs> like somebody submitting a, a short story to a contest. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for submitting this wonderful note. Sadly, you need to not give up your day job. It was awful and is not going to be on my uh, television program. I think there's uh, their day job. I think there's a I think there's a law against child labor. I hope not in the Netherlands. So we do indeed get the return of the Queen of Ata Discipline. Not that she wants to say the word. She's so reluctant to say the word Ata Discipline, but eventually everyone beats it out of her. And it's made even more divine by the fact that she was wearing a t-shirt with the word cliche on it. Did you see on the, I think it might have been on the Vidim subreddit, where they had the, you know, the the Simpsons meme, where they're like, come on, say it, Bart. <laughs> but they substituted it with, with, with Ellie. Come on, Ellie, say the phrase. Ether discipline. <laughs> Yay! The thing is, of every mole contestant in recent history... I think Ellie has been referenced more by other seasons than anyone else. Which season was she on again? Dominican Republic. Mm. So since her season, which was 2016, she has been referenced every single time there has been a game involving walkie-talkies, with no exceptions. Because as a former police chief, she is very good at taking command and ordering people around. And this is the perfect challenge for Ellie Lust to be, as I think it was Horace said, Ellie Lust. (laughs) She is just so brilliant in this challenge. I still don't suspect her even a little bit. And I'm well aware that this is shooting myself in the foot given she's currently the top suspect from the Netherlands. But I don't suspect that even a little bit, she was just peak Ellie this week, and it was brilliant. Speaking of peaks, uh, Ron could not see the chest on the peak above him. This huge, gigantic chest that he could not see. <laughs> Cast your mind back to the awful laser game we had in China, and then compare it with this a few months later. This is brilliant! This is one of the best laser games they've done for ages. Probably since Japan? It's my favourite laser game since Oregon, I think, because Oregon had the haunted theme park that really tortured people. It's just such a brilliant laser game, and the thing is, it's brilliant because of Ellie taking charge and being Ellie and forcing people to give their exact movements at all times and say what they can see, but it's also brilliant because the first pair we get are Ron and Nikki, who are such an odd couple and so brilliant with each other. But they also set the tone for this game so wonderfully, because Ron pretty much goes in with the attitude of, I'm going to get shot very quickly, I'm going to try and do my best, but I'm going to get shot so fast that I know there's not a lot that I can do. And you have Nikki, who goes in pretty much like a a puss-upon mother, just going, come on, Ron, you've actually got to try. This isn't the first episode anymore, this is episode two. Because Ron walks in and doesn't even want to shoot his gun. He wants to be unarmed. He'll be the first person to do a laser game unarmed. Voluntarily unarmed. <laughs> he just wants to get through it on merit. Yeah, that's the attitude we get from Ron as soon as he walks in. Is just, I have this laser gun. I'm not going to use this laser gun. Hmm, or actually, it's like, imagine if he had a real gun, he'd probably be the one to look through like the, the end of it and be like, hmm, are there any bullets in this thing? Why isn't this thing clicking? Hmm, wonder what happens if I take this back thing off. Hmm. Ah! Yes, Ron just gets exposed to lasers. Um, <laughs> and as soon as Nikki starts moving the chest, shooting begins, and they also find some bolt cutters on top of the chest, which will definitely come in handy if they can ever be asked cutting a tripwire. <laughs> because, conveniently, they forget to cut the tripwires just in case, and in fact, Nikki's already been shot by this point, but Ron just crawls under it for some reason. His crawling is the worst crawling I think I've seen in my life. And you've seen Bertrand do the drunk museum heist. Yes, Bertrand, when he is shit-faced drunk, had a better time at crawling than Ron. And he crawls like a spider. It's it's some sort of arachnid I've never seen before. But yeah, Ron crawling is utterly terrible. But this is what I mean about, as mole, do you want to go first or not? Because obviously I'm very tunnel-visited on Nikki, and when she gets um, executed, I'll be devastated. 
But it's very telling that people seem to trust Nikki and Ron enough that nobody else cut that tripwire at the start. Everyone else just kind of moved around it or moved over it. Nobody cut the tripwire. And that's the very first thing you should do if you're on the first team and not mauling is cut the tripwire and make everyone's lives easier. Because Ron would have had to kind of go through and pick up the chest from the top rather than the logical thing, which is just keep sliding it, as Tico ended up doing. Yeah. I don't know if the mole has to do much this season. I'm not sure the mole needs to do much, but I definitely think that Nikki was subtly moling in that bit. She got shot super fast, but she also made herself a target super fast and left Ron on his own to ruin everything. And they made it they made the shortest distance of any pair, I think. Hmm. Even though they had the most potential because everyone else could see them on the cameras as soon as they got past a certain point. Very important point that. So that's the best place to do any moling. But also, between the pair of them, everyone seems to kind of trust them a little bit. And it meant that the first trip where I didn't get cut. Nikki picked up a massive 75 euros, I believe, and she was the only person other than Horace to pick up any money that wasn't negative, Nadja, and actually get it into the box. But also, they really didn't do much recon for the rest of the team. No, no, they did not. Because that's basically the traditional role of the first person or first pair up, is to do as much recon as is physically possible and try and help the rest of the team. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to go that far. No, those two didn't do any of that, and they still didn't go very far. They performed the worst of any of the pairs. And I'm including Nadja's minus 100 euros in that. So yeah, Ron is just a complete dope that him and Ellie interacting is utterly divine when he's on his own, because he just does not listen to Ellie's instructions whatsoever. And then he immediately gets shot after going over the tripwire, leaving the box on top of the thing that you've got to crawl through. Like, maybe six feet from the entrance. Yeah. Not that far. And Peggy and Patrick are the next to get sent in. She said she wanted to pair it with him because she trusts him. And Patrick was so laser-focused that he didn't even look for money or rewards in the first 10 metres. Laser-focused? Yes, deliberate term. So laser-focused, he didn't even look for money or rewards in the first 10 metres. Which suggests that Nicky and Ron didn't make it more than 10 metres. Which, thanks to the the protestations of a woman on a... um, on a quiz who got very angry with me, I know it's the height of three basketball hoops stacked on top of each other. I can't remember whether I've ever told that story. I don't think so. A couple of years ago, I was on a cruise from um, from Beijing to Singapore, and there was kind of a, a progressive trivia. So there was five days, and your score carried over. And there was one day where there was a question that was, what's the height of a regulation basketball hoop? We said 10 feet, because that's the correct answer. And she, because she was from, uh, from New Zealand, said uh, it's 3.1 metres. The correct answer was 3.05 metres, so the quiz host decided to put it to the audience and say, do you want me to accept 3.1 because she's rounded up? Pretty much everyone, including me, said no. And she came up to us afterwards and said, uh, notice you were uh, cheering against us for the uh, basketball question? I said, yeah, um, you got it wrong. If you're going to put it in metres, you've actually got to, you know, be correct. And she said, you're not going to apologise then? I said, well, no, because you were wrong. And she went, okay, has been noted. And then just walked off. And for the maybe week left of that cruise, she gave me evils every time she saw me. In public, at a quiz, everything. And in fact, when her and her um, her very meek and mild son won a quiz a few days later, she turned around and glared at me when she won. Like I cared that you won a keyring. It was for a keyring? Yeah, she was so bitter. And it was very funny. But... um. That has been noted was uh, was basically the catchphrase of our entire holiday. But the even better thing is, after talking to the quiz host at the end of that day when the basketball hoop question came up, um, because we got friendly with him, said to him, yeah, there was a woman who came up to me uh, afterwards and um, accosted me for the uh, the basketball hoop question. He went, I think I know the, uh, the woman. She uh, tried to convince me that Russia was the largest country in the EU yesterday. I got very angry when I said, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't think Russia would be allowed in the EU. Now, Russia 100% isn't in the EU, and it certainly isn't the largest country in the EU, because that is France. But yeah, in summary, if you're playing a quiz against me, don't get bitter, because I will start telling stories about you two years later on a podcast about Dutch television. Okay, that that has been noted. Thank you. That was a great response. So, (laughs) Peggy finds a yoker for Horace, but immediately gets shot straight after, but still manages to put it on top of the box, so he can still claim it later. And Patrick finds 100 euros and three yokers, but puts them in his pocket rather than the chest, because the chest is far ahead of him, and then gets shot with all four of them in his pocket. 
And then Tico and Horace are sent in third. Tico shoots a shooter and then finds the chest, putting Horace's yoker in it. And as he pushes the chest on, he gets shot. And then Horace crawls along in the team's vision and starts actually cutting booby trap wires like a normal person and finding money, but then gets shot quite near the end. And I have it on pretty good authority. Horace managed to bank five separate notes in this challenge. So he did like 90% of the work? Yeah. According to what Nikki said at the start, she banked 75, although we never see how much she actually banked. Um, And Horace banked the rest. He banked five different notes, apparently. That's not really a team effort in this challenge. They did better trying to find the Yokers than they did the actual Euro notes. Yeah, five of the nine Yokers were found. That's quite impressive. And why, that's the thing that confused me. It's like, you don't want the Yokers to be found. Why are you claiming them? There's a one in nine shot that it's that it's going to be your Yoker and an eight out of nine chance that it's someone else's Yoker to put you at a disadvantage. However, if you find someone else's yoker, you don't necessarily put it in the box. You maybe throw it over the fire that was prominently featured in this challenge. (laughs) Which is what I would have done. I would have managed to find a way back to the fire, or just put someone else's yoker in my pocket. Because we know for a fact that Patrick found at least two other people's yokers and put them in his pocket. Which is actually a a good sabotage if you're a player. Yeah. So Nadja goes in on her own in fourth. She doesn't have the wire cutters because they're on top of the box, so she actually has to crawl under the wires till she gets to the chest because Nikki and Ron forgot to cut them. And she finds money, but is shot, putting it into the chest. And then Yaron and Ellie are the final groups to get sent in. Ellie gets shot almost immediately, leaving Yaron to finish the job. He pushes the chest across the line to win the challenge. And they barely get the they barely he barely finishes the challenge. I like how close the finish line was and just how dramatic it was to get those, I want to say it was like two, maybe three steps. And it's like, they may not actually finish this. He may get shot on like the very last step. I like how they put all the budget into the pyrotechnics in this challenge and made the exit a rope. It was literally (laughs) just a rope line on the floor. That stood out to me too. I was expecting it to be a bit more distinguishable, a bit more official. I don't know whether it's just me with with being conditioned over the past few months to watch a lot of Belgian Mole, but Vidum just feels so cheap. Because it looked like the rope was flexible, like it didn't feel like it, it was. was stable. And it was? Yeah, it was a wavy line when, um, when he crossed it. <laughs> it had been kind of moved out of the way. I wonder what would happen if he was shot like on the rope. It just feels like... They take two steps forward with really good production values, and then one step quite far back when it comes to stuff like a rope. Like, couldn't they have taped taped something down on the floor? Like, taped a red line? Yeah, or even <laughs> just put some sort of thing... Or a barrier? At, yeah, something either side of it, just to make it distinguishable, rather than a big red rope on the floor. Yeah, like they could have had like a mini wall or something for him to go. Maybe something that's only like one or two feet high at the most that he just has to step over. Some sort of lantern or something just to distinguish it in the smoke and the shooting. Because he, when he goes across, he's like, am I out? Was that red rope the finish? He's not sure. No. <laughs> like, I think it's pretty important for your contestants to know whether they're done the challenge or not. He was like, um, was that rope it? Was that, the, was that the exit? Yeah, but that goes back to another argument that I know I had last week, and it is much better this week. But still, Dutch Mole has a terrible problem at the moment with being super unclear to both us as the viewers and the players. Like, in two of the three challenges this week, Rick actually, for once, told us how much the money was-ish. He said over €2,000 for the... Um, the stone walk, and he said you can win up to 2,000 euros in the laser game. He never did that in China at all, which really got on my nerves, as you might know if you ever listened to those episodes. And for once in Dutch Mole, they actually showed a graphic on screen for this challenge. It was limited, and it wasn't brilliantly helpful to us as the viewers, but they actually showed a graphic for once. And that is, I know, a major complaint of people who watch both, is the fact that Belgian Mole just explains its challenges so much better than Dutch Molders, with like a tenth of the budget, and feels like ten times less cheap. Is it because they have to put all their money into paying off the talents that are competing? I'm not sure, because I don't think they get a super large payday, being honest, given that they're playing for like maybe 10,000 euros on their own. 
I don't think they get a super large payday for doing a two, three week holiday to be on Vidim. They do get paid, definitely. I don't think it's a huge amount of money. I just don't know where the rest of the money goes because in a challenge like this, which is brilliant and one of the best laser games they've ever done in terms of actual design and everything, there is still the inherent cheapness running through this challenge. Let's say you have 10 contestants and you pay each of them, like, I don't know what appearance fee would be, like 5,000 euros each. Yeah, something like that. So maybe it's like 50,000 euros for the 10 contestants. And maybe with Belgian Mole, since they're all just regular people, that's 50,000 euros more they have just to do better production value in other aspects. I'm sure they can make those. Maybe that, that 50,000 euros is the, makes a huge difference overall. Yeah, but as you, as you well know, the budget for Belgi is much lower than the budget for Vidim anyway. I don't think there's much difference in actually the amount of money they have left over for the production. Yeah. I don't know, but the money has to go somewhere, and I don't, I, I'm trying to figure out where it's going. Yeah, it's a problem that I have with Vidim, and it's not a huge problem. It's just kind of, it's more blatant to us because we watch the Belgian seasons as well, in that Vidim just feels a little bit cheap sometimes, and a little bit like they're just not putting the money in. And I don't know why it is. Because we're assuming that there's going to be some big money challenges in the rest of this season that probably makes the maximum at least 100k, as it is in most Vidim seasons and as it is in Belgium. But Belgium, you see people winning prizes of maybe 30 grand-ish. I know Greece was the lowest one ever, but it's usually about 30, maybe 40 grand at most. This episode literally had a maximum prize of a little over 5,000 euros, which would have been one challenge on Belgium. Yeah. And it's not a major complaint, really. It's just kind of a bit obvious because we are, spoilers, recording another Belgian season at the moment. But it's really weird to compare the two, as it stands. So, they found 360 euros worth of notes, but someone, not mentioning any names, Nadja, put a minus 100 euro note in there leaving 260 euros of a possible 2,000 for the challenge. And Patrick and Horace were secretly lucky and received yokers in the confessional booth. And on the morning of day four, Ron fills in his diary at breakfast and doesn't even recognise that Tico has pulled up for a good 10 seconds, probably because he's assuming that Tico has had to come back from whatever homeless shelter he's currently living in. Maybe he was thinking, oh, I hope this homeless guy doesn't ask me for money. He is in um, in Europe. They do love doing that at restaurants, just having having beggars or people selling roses for the lovely ladies. Yeah, put put little like elephant statues on the table. I remember that happening a lot in Spain and Italy. He starts doing that, then walks away for a few minutes, then comes back. And Tico decides to sit down. Ron doesn't like distractions when he's writing things, and he asks whether Tico has got a bond yet. But Tico says he doesn't want to have one yet. They decide to have a loose agreement, but Ron says you should never have an agreement with the mole, which just shows how bad he is at this game. Because we went through a run of seasons, maybe five, six years ago, there was a good three or four seasons in a row where the person who won the season was the person who also had a bond with the mole and knew the most about the mole, because the whole point of the show is knowing the most about the mole. <laughs> And two years ago, I believe the person who was spent the most time with the mole also won. Mm. It's not a terrible thing in the slightest to have a bond with the mole, as long as you know that they're the mole. And it's something that Ellie also says later in the episode, is that she's like, I don't want to have a bond with the mole. Well, why? You should definitely try and have a bond with the mole, because you get most information about the person you're searching for. And you'd probably catch on to them very quickly if you have a bond with them. And also, more importantly, if you have a bond with the mole, then you are not competing with another person to have the knowledge of the mole. That's the important thing. Yeah, because no one else will have that. Will will have the information. Some of the information is critical for the quizzes. That yeah. the person who has the bond is the only one who has access to it. By the end of the season, two people will be taking a thirty-question quiz on the identity and actions of the mole. Some of those questions are going to be quite obscure, and having a friendship or a bond or whatever you want to call it with the mole may get you one or two extra answers, which could be enough to push you over the top. It could be a question like the mole's blood type, which probably doesn't come up in polite conversation, but you should never rule out having a bond with the mole, because you never know when a bond with the mole's going to be helpful. That's my soapbox argument. 
And Ron has a major oversight when he's revealing all of his suspicions to Tigo because you pan the camera about half an inch to the left, and there's Horace who's been sitting there the whole damn time. You got Horace just eating a yogurt, getting information. <laughs> you know what's even better than having a bond with the mole is having information delivered to you without even asking for it, without even trying to have a bond with the mole. It's just dropped onto you on a silver platter. It's like Horace isn't even playing the game or trying to. And he just gets this huge gift of, oh, okay, I guess I know Tigo and Ron's suspicions and all the information that they just shared for the past 20 minutes without either of them looking a half an inch in my direction. I'm starting to think that maybe the mall didn't have to do anything with them not seeing those stones in the first challenge this episode. If they can't see Horace, a person who they have spent the past seven days with, not even like two tables over, but at the very next table on the same side of the table that Tigo was on, if they don't even notice him, I have very low hopes for them in the coming episodes. Yeah, I just want to say this now, that if there is a pervasive attitude of you don't want to have a bond with them all, that is the wrong attitude to have and should not be promoted on this show. You should always be trying to have bonds with everyone and bonds with them all especially. And the faster you realise who the mole is, the faster you get a bond with them all, the faster you can pretty much guarantee you are going to be walking away as the winner of the mole. It is not a dirty thing to have a bond with the mole. Oh, and don't, don't give up free information to somebody you want to be eliminated. Well, yeah. And this isn't actually, weirdly, a topic that has ever come up on our mole podcasts, is the fact that it grinds my gears when people go, oh, you shouldn't have a bond with the mole, you should be honourable. Well, it's not a game about honour. It's a game about information. And ruling someone out from getting information from them is why you keep losing this show. End of rant. <laughs> Ron is just not catching on on how to play Vidim. No. Information is currency in the mole, and you should never cut off a pipeline to information. Because that is how you end up in a taxi in the middle of Argentina, trying to save your in-game life by diffusing a paintball. So, on the morning of day four, Rick meets them at the Peruzzi Bridge. He gets Nadia to ask the group a question about the Netherlands that they'll definitely get right. And she chooses to ask them what the national anthem is. In pairs, they have to ask questions to each other that they'll definitely know the answer to. The pair with the most correct answers will get the chance to win a black exemption. The treasurer will not be part of a pair, and will get a special role later in the challenge. Patrick as treasurer gets to pick the pairs. He chooses Peggy and Tico, Ellie and Euroan, Horace and Nikki, and Ron and Nadja. He also gets to distribute the categories officially. However, they are all the same category. It's all Italy. And they can also earn €1,500 for the pots. Not that Rick ever says that until the end of the challenge, much to my irritation. Horace and Nikki are up first. Horace asks the questions. Nikki doesn't know much about Italy. And Horace finds it really hard to think of anything to ask. Italy. 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 Um. Um. Italy. I literally, before seeing any of the other pairs, wrote down a list of the sort of things you ask. You ask capital city, food, culture, landmarks, literally anything. It's not difficult. <laughs> As long as it is tangentially related to Italy, you ask the damn question, even if it's spell Italy. Uh, and we learned that Nikki's strongest suit is not geography. No. Although, she's not the only one. <laughs> no, no. The thing is, as Mole, you've kind of got to try and guarantee your treasure before this challenge, because the Mole cannot have an impact on this challenge at all, unless they're the treasurer. Which is pretty much why everyone was jockeying to try and be the treasurer before this challenge. Yeah, this is one of the few seasons where being the treasurer is important. Yeah, they really seem to be bringing back the tradition of the treasurer being the one who makes decisions. We haven't seen it for a little while, but it seems to very much be playing into this season. Which is very interesting, because I've not officially ruled Patrick out, but Patrick is quite low on my suspect list, I will say. And I feel like he's not going to be treasurer for much longer. I think the mole is going to end up being treasurer at some point and ruining the season for the participants, at least. For us, it's great TV, so I don't care. And then who's who's our next pair? So the second pair are Tico and Peggy. Tico asks the questions, and they do much better. 
and then Ron and Nadja are our third. Ron asks the questions. Nadja thinks Portugal is above Italy. They do badly. That's when you know it's like, uh, I guess we're not getting a black exemption. <laughs> and then in probably the second best challenge ever for Ellie Loost, she gets to just interrogate your own for two minutes. Interrogate Italian interrogation. <laughs> like, literally, you could have moved this from the bridge to a room with a spotlight. And one-way glass. Yeah, Ellie would have been almost as at home there, I think. She rocked this challenge. It was brilliant to just see her basically fire off as many questions like, who killed him? Who killed him? Who killed him? <laughs> Where were you on the night? <laughs> Are you the mole? Tell me the goddamn truth for once. <laughs> and yes, I am imagining Ellie Luster's kind of a 1950s noir detective now. <laughs> eh, you're gonna get that from me, copper. Just chewing on a cigar. But yeah, this is the challenge that Ellie Lust was born to be a part of, and unsurprisingly, her and Euron win it. By like 30 questions. What's the capital of Italy? Where does the Pope live? Who, who is the Pope? <laughs> yeah, because let's be honest, nobody was going to compete with Ellie's rapid fire questioning style. That is how you get criminals off guard. <laughs> and the way she asks the questions is like, you have no choice but to give the right answer. Like, I think even Naja, I think even Naja would have been able to answer a geography question under those conditions. Yeah, you can tell that Ellie would have been a formidable interrogator in her police career. You would never want to come up against Ellie Loost, I don't think. Like, she probably would have had a taser or something if if your own got too many wrong. It's like, no, don't do this. Tell me what sea is east of Italy. Ether discipline. If you sail east from Venice, what country do you hit? Croatia, just please tell me where my children are. So yeah, unsurprisingly, Ellie and Euro and Wynn and now have a chance at a black exemption. However, whether they get one all depends on Patrick. He can either choose 1,500 euros for the pots or a black exemption for the three of them to share and decide who plays it and when. He chooses the 1,500 euros, which more than doubles the pot so far. Which means you're definitely not the mole, because that would have been so easy to justify. Oh, I mean, a black exemption sounds pretty damn good. I think the three of us should uh, get it. I mean, that's what I think most contestants would have gone for the black exemption. Is it really a choice? That's the thing, because I know I'm harping on something we've already mentioned, but this show is very cheap. 1,500 euros is not a choice when it comes to having a power of some description, albeit a power that everyone knows you have and could be wielded at any time. But having the power gives you the power, and it means that people will come to you and start making a deal. That's basically what he sold down the river for 1500 euros in this challenge which again more than double the pot maybe that would maybe he was thinking this is the best chance to earn some money after two episodes i think it's fair to say that patrick is not very suspicious to me at the moment he dropped down to the bottom of my suspect list as soon as he took the money sadly he's on my team but yeah i just don't see how you could be the mole and and take the money in that situation It'd be the biggest like by taking the money you're now you're now res- single-handedly responsible for 65 percent of what's in the pot after two episodes that's not a mole yeah the only reason that i can see the mole building up the pot this early in the season is if there's a challenge later in the season that drains the pot but that's the only reason that patrick isn't completely off my suspect list yet because he was still a little bit suspicious last week not nearly as suspicious as like certain people but he was still at least a little bit suspicious. So yeah, they earn 1,500 euros of a possible 1,500 for the challenge, 1,860 of a possible 5,722 euros and 50 cents for the episode, and 2,610 euros of a possible 10,722 euros and 50 cents for the season so far. I'm already so bored of saying at 50 cents. So yeah, afterwards Patrick explains to Ellie that he doesn't entirely trust your own and wants all the yokers out of the game. And Ellie says that she had an understanding with Tina, but they both know how that went. Patrick suggests a bond with her as a four-eye principal, as she observes people in a different way than everyone else. And she says she's worried about making a bond with them all. Again, you're wrong, Ellie. I love you dearly, but you're wrong. And they make an agreement to bond post-execution if they're both there. And it's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of them all. Whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole who's gone home before, but cannot go home this time. Ellie says it's tricky still to pick a mole, but she's ruled out Ron and Euron. She plays her Yoka. 
Ron suspects Nikki and Horace, then Peggy and Ellie. He relegates Ellie and puts Tico in there just to spread. Peggy suspects Ellie because she was in control and because of her job. She suspects Nadja too, but she was a bit obvious in the rock assignment at trying to sabotage. Horace suspects people in the group of five. He plays Yoka as well. Nikki suspects Nadja as she's so tough to read. It's like she has a double agenda. Nadja has crossed off Ron, Tico and Yaron, and she plays Yoka. Yaron says Tico is being weird and takes the initiative a lot in challenges. Tico says he's switching moles a lot. Horace keeps teasing him, but he doesn't want to share any information with him. And Patrick says that he has a few people on his list, but Peggy's at the top, and Nadja is also a suspect because she did sabotage in at least one challenge, and he plays a yoker. And they arrive at the execution with one less chair than they need. Someone has to sit next to Rick. They suggest it should be Patrick as treasurer, but it actually ends up being Ellie. And when Rick arrives, he says that by picking that seat, Ellie is exempt from the execution. Random. <laughs> Very random on the surface of things, but actually, from what I've seen, it might play into next week's episode. There is a rumour of them kind of adapting the Yoker on the Run challenge. Oh, from Mexico, from Belgian Mole in Mexico? Yeah, and Ellie getting some sort of special challenge role at the start of the next episode, so that's why she had to be exempt. And Peggy, Patrick, Nikki, who celebrates breaking her record, and Tico all get green screens before Nadja is the second person sent home. And Ellie asks for the first hug as her roommates. I guess there's a non-elimination one the first two episodes of... Uh... Oh yeah, the first, was first episode a non-elimi- non-elimination in Colombia? Because that was the four people didn't have to see their screen? Yeah, because it was Evie going home in the second episode and then Nikki and what ended up being the start of the fourth episode, but should have been the third. Right. So that's why she was celebrating. She just survived the first two. I forgot she was second person gone. Yeah, she was technically second person gone, but she didn't go until episode four. So Nadja says that she chose something at the last minute, which is dangerous, and she couldn't spread anymore, even though it was week two. She didn't spread? No, she said she didn't spread. (laughs) What the hell? Renaissance my ass. My god. Don't want to bond with the mole. You don't see Horace in the chair. You don't see the stones with the euros. And you don't spread on the second quiz? It's fair to say that Nadja's renaissance will not be televised. So, next week, everyone gets locked to trees, Tico spots something in your own pocket, there is more air to discipline, and things get a little bit medieval. And now we can actually start talking about First Suspicions and our pool. Yay! So our teams are finally confirmed. I drafted Nikki, Tico, and Patrick. Michelle drafted Horace, Ellie, and Ron, and Logan drafted Yeroen, Nadja, and Peggy. With Nadja's departure, Logan's already down to Peggy and Yeroen. I feel good about my suspects. Two of them. Yeah, I feel good about having Nikki. <laughs> the other two, not so much, but I'm I'm happy with having Nikki. But we do agree that somebody from that group of five is definitely the mole. Oh, 100%. I'm pretty confident that the mole was in that group of five. They have to be. And who's left in that group? There's N- Nikki. It was Peggy, Tico, your own, and Nikki left. Yeah, I think it's safe to say one of those four has to be the... Well, and I have two of those four in my group. I have two of those four as well. (laughs) So Michelle already loses? Well, that's the thing, because I did, when we'd confirmed the teams on Friday night finally, I did put out the Instagram poll to say, do you support Team Michael? Do you support Team Michelle? Do you support Team Logan? And very interestingly, Michelle's team kind of tanked. Pretty much nobody suspects anyone from Michelle's team, which is hilarious for me. What were the the votes? Because I didn't vote in it. Uh, yours was 56% yes and 44% no. Mine was 50-50. Michelle's was 22% yes and 78% no. Oh, so we're actually getting a few votes in this with that percentage. Yeah, we, uh, we've done quite well on the, uh, the average votes there. Interestingly, though, and I apologise to people who hate stats because I'm about to reel some stats off, thanks to the first suspicions list and thank you to everyone who did submit them, I have done a bit of analysis. So if you ranked someone the most suspicious, they got nine points on this list, then eight, then seven, all the way down to zero for last. I did keep Tina in there just on the off chance that she somehow managed to get brought back, but also on the off chance, more importantly, that um, it just gives everyone a a free last place. However, not everyone did put their last place, which is very interesting. Um, Logan's team is the most suspicious with an average score of 5.55. Mine is second with an average score of 5.24, and Michelle's is way behind with 4.03. However, adding in our forms changes it a little bit, because yours drops, mine goes up, and Michelle's goes up slightly. 
and I'm saying slightly because, you know, I'm being generous to Michelle. She's still very much last on that. Very, very interestingly, Nikki was the most suspicious person. And then it was Nadja, Yeroen, Peggy, Patrick, Tico, Horace, Ellie, Ron, and Tina in that order. Tina actually weirdly managed to score above zero, which I was very surprised about. As a trio, we thought Ellie, Horace, Nadja, Patrick, and Tico were more suspicious than the average. And Yeroen, Nikki, Peggy, Ron, and Tina were less suspicious than the average. I have amended it for week two. So basically, if you put Nadja, I just shifted the scores. Your team's average as of this week out of seven is four. Mine is 3.88. Michelle's is 2.79. Yours drops to 3.75, taking into account our ones. Mine stays exactly the same, weirdly, at 3.88. And Michelle's goes up to 2.95. And finally, for stats, Horace is the only person that we think is more suspicious than the average as of this week. Matt's over. Kaboom! Yeah, I will keep doing that every week because it is actually very interesting to see whether our predictions line up with everyone else's, for me. And I must say, Horace might drop in suspicion after when everyone votes again. Um, So, thank you to everyone for voting. If you didn't, then you are dead to us. You are as dead to us as Ron is at figuring out how to play the Ismal. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If you didn't vote on our first suspicions poll, you're dead to us. Um, so, Mr. Saunders, who is on your suspect list? Whoever was in that freaking group from the first challenge. <laughs> so I'm just going to... And I don't really think it's Tigo, and I don't think it's Nikki, so I'll just stick with Peggy and uh, Yeroen. I'm going to also stick to the same logic. Nikki's my number one. Yeroen is my number two. Uh, and I'm... I'm going to go for Peggy as my number three. I'm actually giving you three this week. I only gave you one last week. Can't be completely tunnel busy. No, I'm still very much on Nikki, but I'm also well aware of my history. (laughs) And some other bits that did come up. Thank you to everyone on Twitter and uh, Instagram who did respond to the the first episode. This is the oldest mole cast ever, and Nikki is actually the only person under the age of 40 in this cast. That is extremely rare for reality TV. Just wait till I tell you the next bit. The average age of this cast is 45.2. I think we have at least three people over the age of 50 in this season, which never happens. They were the only ones to film then? I'm not sure, because a couple of people did also point out that you shouldn't consider this season an all-star season like we did last week. You should more consider it a second chance season. And then the casting actually makes a bit more sense. So this is more Amazing Race Unfinished Business than Amazing Race All-Stars and Amazing Race All-Stars in inverted commas. 45 as average age. That's even older than Winners at War when they brought back winners who had played over a span of 20 years. Yeah, 45.2. We've never had a mole cast this old. I don't know if any reality TV cast has ever been that old. There is one, and I can't remember who it was because Bindles did tell me. Was it a Japan season? Uh, was it a Japanese reality show? To Bindles' knowledge, there has only been one cast older than this. And there's been casts of Survivor that are, you know, average age is like 25. I think Pearl Islands was like 26 or 27 was average age. Yeah. And I think usually it hovers, and well, with Big Brother seasons, their tip, they're definitely in like the around like 24, 25 as average age. So the fact it's at 45.3 is a really, really big number. Even Amazing Race. Amazing Race rarely casts anybody over 40. The only cast to Bindles' knowledge that is older as an average age is the Jackie Stallone season of Celebrity Big Brother, which had three retirees in a nine-person cast. And that was 46.3. And that barely beat it out. And that was like a celebrity... Okay, so maybe with celebrity reality shows you can get a little bit higher in the age since it's more recognizable people anyway and i have been corrected by a couple of people as well the mole did steal all the exemptions in um in the old mole challenge last week apparently on the vidim official podcast they had the old moles on it and one of them said that they were glad to um to have helped out the new mole and um interestingly only one person creates the dutch challenges it's not done as a team like um like belgium Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe they need more input so they can iron out the wrinkles for a given challenge. I think so too, but that's an argument for another day, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you got anything else you want to say? No, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to have breakfast at 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> 
You're such a student. So, thank you for listening to our Vista Small Renaissance recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the new small in Italy. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTB Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtbwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logsuperquacky, and I am MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles, and we will see you next week. Peace out, and just chill to the next flavoring.